This is Unfilter, episode 369, for September 17th, 2021. As a nation, our adjustments have been profound. Many Americans struggled to understand why an enemy would hate us with such zeal. The security measures incorporated into our lives are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit and it is our continuing duty to confront them. Hello, friend, and welcome back to the People's History Podcast, episode 369, almost at 370. I can't even believe it. And it feels good to be back. It's the first show I'm recording. I just got back yesterday evening. Today's my first day back in the studio and I have been looking forward to talking to you. I've been on a road trip. In fact, I haven't even tallied up all the miles yet, but it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot because we went from Seattle to Salt Lake City to Cheyenne to just a little bit into New Hampshire, down into Denver, then Colorado Springs, and then Tucson, and then up through California and Oregon and back up here to Seattle. About 40 days on the road, and it was uh, almost, not quite, but it was, uh, at least as far as I know, it was a good opportunity to shift mindsets and think about things from a bigger picture, not like from a show content perspective, but just from a, a big picture perspective. And I, I think it helps me work through a few things that get me really upset on the show. You know, watching us just make some of these mistakes over and over again and wondering, is that a mistake? Was that intentional? Is it, you know, it just gets so frustrating. And I try to process it while I go on these road trips and, and come to an understanding with it. And sometimes I accomplish that, and sometimes I don't. And there's a couple of items left that I feel like I need to work through with you guys before I'm going to be right with them. So this isn't actually a full return to standard production schedule. It's, it's uh, I still have a few things to take care of, but it's me kind of getting my feet under me again and, and work a, working a few things through with you. And I want to start with, how historically bad we are blowing the vaccine rollout. How awful has this gone? I mean, I really, you can, I don't even know how far back to go with this. You know, like I could go back to when Trump was still president and he announced it and just how every scientist came out of the woodwork to say it was impossible at that time. That laid, think about it, that, that unquestionably planted the seeds of doubt. You just, there's no, there's no, there's no question about it. And I think one of the truly historic mistakes about the COVID-19 vaccine rollout is we have legitimized and mainstreamed the anti-vax movement. And this time, this time, as the goalposts keep moving with this vaccine, it seems to be validating what the anti-vax people are saying. And it doubles down on what people are calling, quote unquote, hesitancy. Hesitancy or like I call it, a total and complete lack of trust in the medical institutions because they have beclowned themselves through this entire thing. 
And now, and now we are doing the ultimate blow to consumer confidence. And this is sometimes how you got to look at these things is trying to sell a product a little bit. If you've got people out there who have yet to get vaccinated, but maybe they're thinking about it, you know, as, as time goes on and they're thinking, well, you know, if it does protect against severe illness, maybe that's worth it. You know, maybe that's starting to sink in a little bit. Nothing's going to make you want to get the vaccine less than hearing that before you've even gotten your first two shots, you're going to need to get a third shot. And then hearing that it only works for about three months. Like we have to, we have to be a lot better at this. And this is why, this is why we really suffer when a vaccine isn't fully tested because we don't get to learn all these little nuances. And then as the quote unquote science gets updated, You'll lose people along the way. But you said, you said it was 99% effective. You said that. You Now you're saying it's only 60% effective and I still spread. What the hell? You know, that is a legitimate reaction. And then what we do is we pretend like those reactions are not legitimate. Like we didn't move the goalpost. And then we tell those people they're being ridiculous for questioning it. And then you have this situation going on with the boosters. Not only is it bad marketing to say, by the way, you're pretty much going to indefinitely need a shot because <laughs> we just can't get these variants under control. <laughs> that not only is that not going to sell some vaccines, and I, I use the term sell uh, loosely here. Obviously, I think you get where I'm going. Not only is that not going to get people to get the jab, as they say. But the process in which the boosters are being evaluated is pretty suspicious and it's out. And naked in front of all of us and anybody who's tuned in and cares knows what's going on here about those FDA officials who resigned. And now the process to expand who boosters could be applicable to is really being pushed by Pfizer and the White House, not by FDA scientists. And people can see that as well. And that leads to questioning and doubt. And they don't explain why it's happening this way. There's a high stakes meeting that's underway right now as top FDA officials decide whether or not COVID booster shots are needed for those Americans who are vaccinated. And this all comes after Pfizer requested approval to begin offering third doses to people 16 and older. So Pfizer is advising the White House directly and they are requesting approval for the booster dose to be used in individuals 16 years of age and older. Pfizer's requesting that. There's a high-stakes meeting that's underway right now as top FDA officials decide whether or not COVID booster shots are needed for those Americans who are vaccinated. Now, he says FDA officials, but we'll get back to that. It's actually, it's not coming from the FDA. It's more of of a top-down pressure that's being put on the FDA. And this all comes after Pfizer requested approval to begin offering third doses to people 16 and older following growing pressure from the White House. Now, there was a rather public departure from the FDA, two of them actually. And we now have a new acting FDA commissioner. Uh, last two, let's see, what was this? <clears throat> it was the end of August. It was the last week of August, uh, a Tuesday. Two FDA vaccine regulators resigned at the same time. Uh, and there was leaks. I'll have a link in the show notes to a political article. It says that essentially it was rooted in anger over the agency's lack of autonomy in the booster planning. A current health official said that the pair left over differences with the FDA's top vaccine official, Peter Marks, who works closely with the White House. Um, and now it seems that the agency, this is according to political, is facing a potential mutiny among its staff about outside vaccine advisors several of whom feel they've been cut out of key decisions around the booster planning. 
Politico spoke to 11 current and former health officials and people familiar with the matter who described a growing exasperation with the administration's disjointed process. These sources said there's little coordination between federal health agencies and the uh, FDA officials are scrambling now to try to get all of this put together with the departures. In fact, political goes on to say that they are scrambling, quote, scrambling to collect and analyze data that clearly demonstrates the boosters benefit before the administration's deadline for rolling them out to adults. They're scrambling to find the data in a short time period. And there's a bit of a mutiny brewing inside. Now, that leads someone to get a little suspicious if they're already in that camp. And we don't properly address that. And it's, this, it's these kinds of problems around the vaccine that seem likely as the result of, well, it's a pandemic. The government very much has tunnel vision on trying to get the vaccine rolled out, get that to be the solution. And we're really sticking on that. We're really staying to that horse. We're really, really sticking to the vaccine is the solution even though there are some signs that perhaps it's not a 100% solution. And that also leads to this hesitancy, which, again, I say is really a trust issue. The new CDC internal report not only acknowledges that so-called breakthrough infections are rising, but that they may be as transmissible as unvaccinated cases. Were you surprised that you had been vaccinated and got sick anyway? Yes, absolutely. I was Catherine surprised. Griegel in Florida is still in isolation uh, after testing like positive about a week ago. She was vaccinated back in March. Now, this this is this is a problem, but it's not an unforeseen problem when it comes to vaccines. It's not, um, you know, it's not like it's a sanitizing vaccine that goes out there and blows the whole thing out. Uh, it sounds like, of course, all this changes all the time, but it sounds like uh, after about three to six months, your likelihood of preventing COVID infection is pretty low after you've been vaccinated. But if you do get sick, they say, and you probably could repeat this word for word at this point because they say it over and over again, you're less, you're less likely of a severe reaction, less likely of hospitalization or death over and over and over again. <clears throat> but there's these, these nebulous questions and perhaps the biggest one, and I, was, I couldn't believe an experience I had on my road trip. The biggest one is probably around the origins of COVID. And I thought for sure, I thought, I mean, I, I genuinely did, you guys. I thought, while I'm gone, we're going to get some more concrete information on the origin of COVID. And it, it struck me. And maybe I've said this on the show already. I can't remember. But I don't think I have. You know how you could get a lot more people to vaccinate? And I mean this. You know how you could get a lot more people lining up to get that jab? Tell them it's a bioweapon created in a Chinese lab. I'd want to get vaccinated from that shit. Seriously. You tell them it's some bat virus, you know, that's just like the flu. That's like the previous COVID viruses. That's not that scary. I think a lot of people do the math and they go, well, I'll take the flu. I'm not saying they're right. I think that's the math. But if you had a government that came out and said, you know, what? we looked into it. Turns out it did come from China. Came from the lab. And we think it's been specifically engineered to attack humans. And we think it's likely to rapidly develop variants because it's already positioned to do so. And that's why we have to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible so we can stop this thing before there's a bunch of variants. Because really what happens, and this is, an, this is a genuine problem, what happens if somebody gets two variants at the same time, two different variants? That could be pretty dangerous. 
So if you if it really did come from a lab, telling people that would probably motivate them to get the damn shot. And even even now, I thought for sure we'd have something after the intercept using the Freedom of Information Act got emails from Fauci and people around Fauci showing that as soon as the COVID information started coming out, like they started talking right away. Like, hey, is this our gain of function work? Uh Oh, we better have some meetings about this. Like it's all there in the emails. They got the documents, as Alex Jones would say. I have I'll have a link to the intercept in the show notes. At least I think I do. I've got a lot of weeks worth of links. And in there, it looks pretty clear, like they were kind of concerned that this might be from some of their funding. And uh, through the EcoHealth Alliance, which is a third party company that they that the NIH funded through. So you thought for sure, right? I thought, oh, man, OK, here we go. We're going to finally open the door. This is it. Fauci goes on MSNBC. Nothing. Literally the day the emails drop, they didn't ask him about it. Within 24 hours, he's on CNN. They don't ask him about the emails. Nothing. Nothing. Now, it's been weeks, and nobody asked Fauci about the emails that clearly show they were concerned this was gain-of-function funding, except for one guy in Little Rock on local news, and I found the clip for you. Before we let you go, there's a lot of Arkansans uh, talking about this. I'm sure you've seen uh, the, the Intercept report, um, a lot of Arkansans talking about it. They're uh, alleging that through a, a Freedom of Information Act request that they say they've uncovered documents showing the United States knowingly funded research into the coronavirus in Wuhan. Uh, what is your reaction to that report, sir? So now we have documents amongst Fauci and his staff where they were communicating about the funding to the Wuhan lab. But he's going to play a little game of semantics. He's been doing this. You, you remember when he had his back and forth with Rand Paul. And there again, it was a little bit of game of semantics about, well, what exactly is gain of function and how do we define it? And what exactly do we pay for? And he'll do it again here in this interview. We're going to break it down a little bit for you. Well, the fact is that the research that was done was to be able to get information to help protect us from future pandemics because it was done at a time following SARS-CoV-1, which you remember was a pandemic in 2002. It's, the research- it's my personal opinion that Fauci and the team around Fauci, uh, they are believers that a, the risk of a lab leak is worth the research because the research could save millions of lives, right? And a lab leak, we can contain that. I think that is truly how they thought about this stuff. And, and that way of thinking, and again, this is just my opinion based on what I've read, but that thinking, I think, led them to be a little overconfident and lead them to trust what the Chinese officials were telling them and believe them because they were being told what they wanted to hear. Was to be able to get information to help protect us from future pandemics because it was done at a time following SARS-CoV-1, which you remember was a pandemic in 2002. The research was well-regulated and had absolutely nothing to do with SARS-CoV-2. So if you're trying to conflate... Let's stop here. This is something Fauci does, and it drives me crazy. Let's play it back so I can, so I can do it, for, so I can hear it, and so I can, so I can get it fresh, and that way you can hear it fresh. Remember, was a pandemic in 2002. The research was well-regulated and had absolutely nothing to do with SARS-CoV-2. This is cute, right? This is, this is really cute because what he's saying is, well, that funding was for the version one COVID, 
This is the version two COVID, and we didn't have anything to do with that. Now let's let's take Fauci at his word. Let's assume that's true. That the money they funneled funneled the NIH through EcoHealth Alliance, it only went to that original COVID SARS virus. And the gain of function research was only done there. That still 100% confirms and now means they are openly admitting that United States tax dollars went to invest in this lab. And if we helped them pay for gain of function research with the first COVID virus that they got, you don't think that skill set, that tooling, that staffing, that process, that administration layer, you don't think all of that wasn't reused for the gain of function research on COVID 19? Of course it was. Of course it was. It means United States citizens, and of course, people all around the world, I would imagine. I'm sure we weren't the only government getting in on the action. But in this case, it means United States citizens tax taxpayers paid for the privilege of getting COVID-19 and dying. Hundreds of thousands of them. And this man right here is admitting that at some point in time, taxpayer money went to this lab. Now, I don't know if I personally believe that this, the money never went to COVID-2 because COVID-19, COVID version 2 is what I was going to say. He'd like you to think that. He'd like to play the semantics. Oh, well, the money never, ever, ever went to this research. No, no, no. Just the staff, the time, the treasure, the equipment, you know, that stuff. All of that stuff. I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. We worked with China over there because we didn't want to do it over here because it was in violation of our own laws. So we worked with a nation that was willing to run the risk. And because of it, we had to funnel it through the Eco Health Alliance because we knew what we were doing was essentially bypassing legislation that had been passed in the United States. That's why they did it in the first place. And this is the result of that sloppy work because their arrogance about the entire thing led them to thinking this was going to be fine. And when the Chinese officials told them, don't worry about it, Mr. Fauci, the money's going to the right place. Or let's be honest, it was probably removed one. The Chinese officials would tell EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth Alliance would tell the NIH, everything's great. What are you worried about? And of course, their own arrogance allowed them to believe it. And now, now he plays a game of semantics as if it matters that every dollar spent went to COVID-19 versus funding the lab that made the outbreak possible in the first place was to be able to get information to help protect us from future pandemics, because it was done at a time following SARS-CoV-1, which you remember was a pandemic in 2002. Now, here's another thing that he does, is he then, he, he will speak down to you. If, you. if you question Mr. Science, if you dare question God of Science, you're the idiot. Now, he can't say that, because he's a government official and he's a politician, he knows how to play the game. But he can say it in a way that all of his media lackeys will hook onto and echo for him. Research was well regulated and had absolutely nothing to do with SARS-CoV-2. So if you're trying to conflate the conduct of research that underwent peer review in the appropriate way, people are inappropriately trying to connect one with the other. And anyone who knows anything about virology will tell you that the experiments that were done 
were done with viruses that could never possibly evolve into SARS-CoV-2. So I think it's a misleading report in every respect. Yeah, in every respect, except for the one where we sent millions of dollars to the Wuhan lab, except for that one. And that's all led to a what it what it what it fundamentally means is I find probable cause not to trust the chief scientist that is like the if if covid 19s response for the federal government had a had a spokesmodel or a spokesperson it would be it would be fauci i think it's it's clear that he's sort of like our lead voice for this pandemic in the united states and i find probable cause to find him untrustworthy and have a conflict of interest and think about what that means that's that's how bad the trust is for the system and the hospitals have beclowned themselves with obvious incentives to generate more cases for COVID-19 and more deaths attributed to COVID-19 than are probably appropriate. There's been a study recently that suggested about 20% of the claimed COVID-19 deaths are likely more likely caused by their core comorbidity, morbidity, you know what I'm trying to say, than the actual COVID-19 death. And the reason I bring this up because I didn't go look up the number to like quote it to you. It just crossed my mind as I was talking about it. The reason I bring it up is all these signals about the boosters and about about uh, about Fauci. I'm trying to think of how to how Fauci continues to kind of move the goalpost. It's unfixable at this point. It's unsolvable at this point. And it's it's glaring and it's obvious and it it drives me crazy to pretend like these these problems don't exist and to talk past them constantly and then to disparage and attack anybody who raises a question. Raise a, if you raise a question about any of this, you're canceled. And it almost sounds cliche to say at this point, oh yeah, sure, but it, right now, my inbox has probably about 30 really, really, really nasty emails. A couple of them tell me to go kill myself because of things that were quasi-conservative that have been said before on the air. And it's such whiplash for me because when I started this show, I was getting attacked for being too liberal. (laughs) And now, even though I really haven't changed, I get attacked, I guess now, for being too conservative. And it's a hell of a thing because I feel like the world has moved around me and I've I've stayed in one place, right? Uh, and these people have no idea, right, about my politics. They have no idea my background. They have no idea about my opinions on this stuff. But I said something that triggered them. And and the amount of um, and it's hard to understand unless you've been in this position. Just just think about every time you look down at your phone, something shitty that some hate that just is awful is in your notifications, and you turn that off, and another platform starts lighting up, and you turn that off, and Another platform starts lighting up because God knows we have tons of platforms with messaging in them now. And there's so much, there's so much energy and, and anger behind it. And so there is this social pressure that we are applying to ourselves for conformity that creates this sense of consensus. And then you have government agencies and the government that speak to social issues in a way that seems like it creates a consensus. And then you have private companies and public companies that speak to social issues because it helps cover perhaps like their slave labor practices. And it, 
it all leads to this false sense of consensus. And then you feel like the crazy person for thinking differently than the mainstream narrative. And then the real capper on top of all of it, which truly gets me upset. I mean, like, like, I don't know how to process this. Despairingly upset. Is these two conflicts that we are heading into. And and everything around COVID-19 and the total mistrust for the system and the natural reaction that creates in people, all of it is like this high-speed on-ramp into one of these conflicts. And then we have the situation, and I know these seem totally disconnected, but we have the situation in Afghanistan and the middle-of-the-night withdrawal we did, leaving $80 billion worth of equipment there. That's all in preparation for another conflict, another high-speed on-ramp to a totally different conflict, but are going to be occurring at the same time. And I'm, I am very concerned about these two things. And I, I think they are the bigger story that is not being talked about because we are so marred in, in social political issues and COVID-19 right now that there are major pieces moving that we are completely missing. And so I just want to spend the last few minutes of this show trying to draw attention to these two conflicts that I believe we are building to that are, are just going to wreck the lives of the middle class in the United States over the next few years and over the next decade. And first and foremost is the one I am most concerned about. New terror alert has been issued by Homeland Security tonight. Pete Williams is here. Pete, what do we know about this? Well, DHS says this new terrorism advisory is not based on any actual threats or plots, but it says there's a rise in anti-government rhetoric. Some of it is opposition to COVID public health rules like mask and vaccine measures. Some calls for violent action are based on claims of election fraud or a belief that Donald Trump can be reinstated. And DHS says the coming 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and religious holidays later this year could be catalysts for violence. The last terror advisory was issued in May. It expired today. This new one says domestic extremism remains a threat priority. Of course, there was no 9-11 attack, even though they warned us about it. But that is scary because domestic terrorism is a goalpost that can be moved as political as political needs dictate. This show could be considered domestic extremism. It, it doesn't seem like it's that far off, especially based on the kind of reaction I get sometimes. But there was a moment while I was gone during the 9-11 ceremony that made me sick. A monster is being reformed by the very people who hated him because he's now saying the things they want. And it sickens me that the Democratic Party has become the party of war and the party of the war on terror. And when somebody, a monster like George W. Bush comes along and says the things they want and has an anti-Trump message, they are willing to rehabilitate him and hold him up as a great thinker. A man who destroyed my generation's financial wealth via the 2008 collapse. A man who sparked off the last 20 years of the war on terror. A man who unleashed the NSA on its own people, violating the Constitution, is now being held up as a brave thinker, speaking moral clarity in the era of our greatest challenges. As a nation, our adjustments have been profound. Many Americans struggled to understand why an enemy would hate us with such zeal. The security measures incorporated into our lives are both sources of comfort 
and reminders of our vulnerability. I don't know what he's talking about there. That that's ridiculous. The TSA security theater never feels like a moment of comfort. The militarization, there we go. The militarization of our police force doesn't make me feel comfortable. I don't know about you, but I think it's kind of sad that when I see a cop walk into an area, like say I'm at a restaurant or a cop pulls up behind me on the road, I wouldn't say panic is what I feel, but very uneasy, very nervous, a lot of fear is what I feel. And that doesn't make me feel better. The NSA spying apparatus doesn't make me feel better. I mean, this man, this man brought us all of this and then claims that these are toys he gave us that give us comfort. Lives are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. This is rich. This is rich coming from this guy. This guy who started wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and launched the drone program and had a vice president who ran a company that was literally war profiteering. Dick Cheney made money from Halliburton. Halliburton makes money when we go to war. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit. And it is our continuing duty to confront them. That is George W. Bush condoning a war on domestic terrorism right there. It is our continuing duty to confront them because of their disregard for life. This man, this man. <laughs> Can you believe George W. Bush is talking about the discard for life and comparing the January Capitol protesters and the crazies who broke in and um, all of the all of the, you know, like uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. I guess I would say um, it, it was a form of political protest doesn't seem like it's extreme enough, but I also I don't think it was quite the, uh, you know, attack on on democracy that we talk about it now i'm trying to figure out what the right language is in between there i don't know if i've decided yet but he's comparing those people to the hijackers that flew planes into the twin towers and that seems grossly inappropriate and also i'm just stunned because they likely were republicans a lot of them most of them were likely republicans his own party his own he is condemning his own party. And I think that shows you really truly where where their loyalties lie, where Bush's loyalties lie. It's not it's it's not actually with the people. Of course, it never was. It's abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. When it comes to the unity of America, those days seem distant from our own. Malign force seems at work in our common life that turns every disagreement into an argument. 
he's he's clearly talking about Trump and Trump supporters. And he's talking now here about the culture war. All of this was sparked by this man. And every argument into a clash of cultures. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear and resentment. And then I love this part of the speech where he's done just that. He's just spent the entire speech playing to people's fear and playing to people's anger about Trump and Trump supporters. And then he he has he has the balls to put this in his speech condemning it when he was just doing it. Disagreement into an argument and every argument into a clash of cultures. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear and resentment. That leaves us worried about our nation and our future together. I come without explanations or solutions. I can only tell you what I've seen. I just can't. He has no explanation or no solutions. No explanation how we could be in this spot. How the 2008 crash robbed a generation of wealth and left people struggling. He has no consideration, no idea how the war on terror has morphed into this huge monster. No idea. So this domestic war on terror is frightening as hell. Because it's going to be a political tool. It's going to be inherently political. We took a machine that was built and designed to go after supposedly international terrorists. And I knew this would happen when we did this. Now the world's had enough of it. The geopolitical situation has changed. But that monster, that machine still has to be fed. And now we're turning the national security apparatus around on our own. Because our next enemy isn't really all of... The people isn't the people in the Middle East. It, our next enemy isn't isn't the wars we've been fighting for the last 20 years. Our next enemy is China. And that's the second conflict that I think is going to wreck life for the middle class. And you probably saw the news that Joe Biden has announced a new trilateral partnership with the UK and Australia. And we're going to be building some nuke subs. I uh, am honored today to be joined by two of America's closest allies, Australia and the United Kingdom, to launch a new phase of the trilateral security cooperation among our countries. As Prime Minister Morrison and Prime Minister Johnson said, I want to thank you for this partnership, your vision as we embark together on this strategic mission. It's a vision and a strategic mission to do what exactly? Britain, the US and Australia have launched a new defence and security partnership with plans to develop a fleet of nuclear-powered submarines for the Australian Navy. Boris Johnson says the project will be crucial in the protection of the Allies' shared interests in the Indo-Pacific region. But China quickly condemned what it called a Cold War mentality. We start our coverage with our defence correspondent, Jonathan Beale. Jonathan, stand by on that one. Yeah. China immediately said, this is some Cold War bullshit you're doing here. In fact, I'd say it's a little more than Cold War. And the White House's answer is, um, it doesn't, uh, doesn't, it's like a non-denial denial, denial when I, kind of that kind of answer. In particular, the reaction from two different countries. Uh, first, China, uh, who said that you accused this agreement of escalating tensions uh, in the region and said it was reflective of a, quote, Cold War mentality. Do you have a response to that? Is President Biden looking to escalate a Cold War with China? No. Um, this partnership uh, announced yesterday is not about any one country. 
This is about advancing our strategic interests, the strategic interests of the United States, upholding the international rules-based order, and promoting peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific. And I would note that the United Kingdom and Australia uh, also have a long history, as does the United States, of upholding the international rules-based order. So it's not about China. It's about a part of the ocean that we want to maintain control over that China wants to control. But it's totally not about China. <laughs> Yeah, okay, Jed. <laughs> yeah, it's not about China. It's just totally, totally about China. And the problem is, is I don't think we got the right guy. I don't think Trump was the right guy, but I don't think we got the right guy in the House. I mean, a war is serious business. And Joe's just going to roll over and do whatever they tell him. I mean, he doesn't inspire confidence. Now, I'm supposed to stop and walk out of the room here. I'm going to stop. But with your permission, I'm going to walk into the room because I want to say hello to all Thank you. What do you mean you're supposed to stop? What do you? What does that mean? Who told you you're not allowed to take questions from the free press? Now, I'm supposed to stop and walk out of the room here. <laughs> what? What? I, I. He's just. I don't think it's him. It ain't. It ain't Joe. It ain't Joe. <sighs> Show will be back on the road soon. Well, actually, I shouldn't use that term. Show's going to be off. No longer on the road. Back in, I'm back in the studio. And it'll be back to its regular production soon. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash unfilter. Or send me a tip on the Cash App. I'm Chris Lass on the Cash App as well. Unfilter.show slash 369 for links to what I talked about today. Subscribe link, contact forms over there. Also, hit me up in the Discord, unfilter.show slash Discord. Your links to clips. Much appreciated. See you back here soon.